are starting a series in the book of Jeremiah. So hear God's word, chapter 1 of Jeremiah, verses 1 through 3. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who are in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Christ Community. Um, It is good to be with you this morning. My name is Naya, and I'm one of the associate pastors here. And before we get started, we just finished up a series yesterday, last week, where there was a time where if you had questions about anything in the sermon, you can text it in, and there would campus pastors would go online and do all of that good stuff. But this time, with this series, we're actually going to have prayer and our time of response during communion. People, they're willing to just pray with you. And so when we know that the series might bring up things in your life that you don't and can't walk alone. So please just know that that is going to be available for you um, in the back starting next week. But if you do need prayer this week, don't hesitate to ask um, your friend or one of us, and we would love to pray with you. And so before we begin, um, let's ask God for his help. Lord, you are good, and your mercies endure forever. And Lord, we thank you that we get to gather together this morning as one body to hear from you and from your word. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would do the transforming work that only you can do. And I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And that's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In 1819, African-American woman Jarena Lee became the first woman authorized and allowed to preach in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And she was the first African-American woman to get her autobiography published here in the United States. Yet, her husband died six years into their marriage, leaving her with kids to take care of and a long battle with her health until her death. In 1869, one of the greatest preachers of all time, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was diagnosed with gout, which is a disease that can cause tremendous pain in your body. I mean, so much so that he had to take off several weeks and several months off of pastoring because he literally couldn't get out of bed. He had to lay on one side for weeks on end because of the pain in his body. 
And throughout his life, and if you read his writings, he tells you that he suffered many illnesses and also suffered deep depression. Yet he is known as one of the most famous preachers of the Christian tradition. And in 1954, Orlando Costas moved from Puerto Rico to the United States at age 12. And as he began and grew and learned what he was passionate about, he became a pastor. He was a professor, a theologian, and a known missiologist. And because of his love for Jesus and his love for his Latino people, he thought that their voices, that the Latino people's voices would be heard. Yet in 1987, at the age of 45, Costas died of stomach cancer. And we hear these stories, right? And we hear the tragedies of these individual lives and we learn quickly that life is hard. I mean, in the span of two months, we've witnessed how Hurricane Harvey brought destruction, pain, and loss to the people in Houston. How Hurricane Irma brought the same destruction to the people in the Caribbean and Virgin Islands, as well as some destruction in Florida. And we saw how Hurricane Maria wiped out the island of Puerto Rico, causing many to lose homes, family members, food, access to gas. And just this past week, we've seen a mass shooting in Las Vegas being the deadliest shooting in modern history, where people thought that they were going to a country concert and didn't know that at that concert, their life was going to end. So friends, it doesn't matter if you're the greatest hero of the faith or not. It doesn't matter if you're the best preacher or not. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus this morning or not, because you and I cannot deny that when we look at our world, life is too hard. It's too big. It's too much. And I am certain that if I sat with each of you individually over a cup of coffee, you can tell me of a time when life was hard when it seemed impossible for you to get up in the morning, when that unexpected death or that expected death happened, or when that unexpected diagnosis came, or when you were suffering over the reality of the pain of your own childhood, of your own family, of your own upbringing, when you had to watch a loved one suffer, And some of you are experiencing life's hardest times right now. Life is hard. And it's too much. And here's the honest truth. These next eight weeks, we'll be tackling the reality that life is a task that is too big for us. And we're going to see that by looking at the life of the prophet of Jeremiah. And here's the point of this opening sermon. Here's what I want you to take away with you this morning. Life 
is hard. And that's just the way it is. I wish I didn't have to say that. I wish I can say that life isn't hard, that it's peachy, that it's great. And sometimes it is. But if I'm being honest with you, life is hard. In fact, God called Jeremiah into a life that was too much for him. And God calls you and I into a life that is hard, too big, and too much. So turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, as we will begin there. And some of you are probably wondering why I had Andrew read those first three verses. And honestly, I just wanted him to hear pronounce those names um, and to see if he could do it or not. Um, but no, I seriously wanted him to read those first three verses because we usually skip over those. Right? When we read the prophets, we see all these kings and the names and the Judahs and the Babylonians and all this stuff. And we're just like, I don't even want to read that. I just want to get to what God is saying to the prophet. But you see, we actually miss out on the most important part. Because if we didn't have those first three verses, we wouldn't have any idea the context in which Jeremiah is speaking. We wouldn't know where Jeremiah is in God's big grand storyline. And so that is why I had Andrew read those verses to highlight for you and I the importance of them. Because if we don't know the context, then we don't know what God is saying to Jeremiah. And so the story is picking up from 2 Kings 24, chapter 24 and 25. And so I, I would advise you to read it this week when you have a chance, because there explains what is happening in the times of Jeremiah. And before Jeremiah was called, he, he was a priest. And the last powerful king of Assyria had died. And let me tell you, that king in Assyria was not a good king. And so his death was sort of like a victory. And people thought that Life is going to be great again, that things are going to happen. And then King Josiah comes along. And if you heard of King Josiah, you probably learned that he was the youngest king, right, in Israel's history and that his heart was inclined to the Lord. I mean, he really wanted to do God's will. And so he decided that there will be some religious reform in Israel and in Judah, that he was so attentive to God's heart that he was going to make that happen. But as time went on, this religious reform did not hold up. And God's people, just like we learned this summer in Elijah and Ahab, God's people were disobeying God and not following him the way that they were supposed to. I mean, they were committing idolatry and participating in acts of injustice. And as a result, verse 3 tells us that Jerusalem... God's people will be overtaken by the Babylonian Empire and will head into exile. This is the context to which Jeremiah is ministering in. Sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? Their world isn't great. People were not following God the way they were supposed to. Injustices were occurring. And Jeremiah is going to be the one that God calls 
to address that. But before God does that, he, he's going he's gonna to do something with Jeremiah. So look with me at verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was conceived, God is saying that he knew him. And before he was born and came out of his mother's womb, God had formed him. God has set him apart, grabbed him and say, you are going to be a prophet to the nations. And friends, this is huge. Because Jeremiah is following the prophetic lineage mentioned in Deuteronomy 18. And it's in that prophetic lineage that our, the big and great prophet Moses had come from. And if you read the book of Amos or if you read the book of Malachi, you know, or Isaiah, you will realize that God has called those prophets to call out God's people. God calls his servants and his prophets to speak to his people to call them back to himself. And not only was Jeremiah to go to God's people, now Jeremiah is going to go to the very people who are going to put Jerusalem and Israel into exile. It's like if God was calling you and I to go to our enemies, to go to people that we know are not going to like us, are not going to like the message that we have, and that at any chance they have, they will destroy us. This is what God is calling Jeremiah to do. That's too much. That's too weighty. And Jeremiah knew this because this is what he responds in verse 6. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Jeremiah responds with his inadequacies. And friends, it's a danger to believe that you can accomplish the God, the call that God has given you on your own strength. It's a danger to believe that when God calls you into life with him, that you can do it and make it on your own. It's a danger to believe that if you just check the boxes, that you're okay. Because Jeremiah's response in many ways is right. He is inadequate. And so he uses the obvious in his day, and he tells God that he's too young to do it. And, you know, we don't know how old Jeremiah was exactly, but we do know that he looked young and that he was perceived as young. And in those times, the elderly were the ones that were esteemed. It was the elderly that people wanted to listen to. The young were looked down upon, which is interesting how God calls the youngest king and calls a young prophet. And if I could just be honest with you for a second, I've felt and still sometimes feel like Jeremiah. God, I am 25 years old. How in the world have you called me to come and pastor and shepherd and preach to people? I'm too young. 
I can't do it. And for maybe for you, it's not your age that hinders you, but maybe it's your lack of knowledge or the lack of skills or talents or your fear or the lack of money or the lies that all these people have told you. Whatever it is, I'm sure in this room, we've all felt like Jeremiah, that we can't do it because it's too much. But look at what God responds in verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. God reassures and affirms Jeremiah that who God calls he prepares. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that this morning. That who God calls, he prepares. God doesn't call you into a life with him to then leave you hanging. He doesn't do that. Whether we think we have the right credentials or the right titles, the right words, the right resources, God promises Jeremiah his presence, and that's enough. And because God will be with him, and because God knew him before anyone knew him, and because God called him, Jeremiah is to surrender and Jeremiah is to obey. He does not have to be afraid for what they will do to him because it is God who has given him the task and it is God who goes with him. He tells Jeremiah that he will deliver him, that he literally, the word there means that he will snatch him out, that he will come to his rescue, that he will be with him. And we're going to see that throughout this series, Jeremiah's life gets harder. I mean, it gets worse. And he suffers more than he ever thought he was going to suffer. Yet God comes here at the beginning of his book, at the beginning of Jeremiah, to establish this foundation that he has been called and chosen and set apart by him. And friends, he does the same with you and I. And this is what he does in verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. God stretches out his hand and touches Jeremiah's mouth. And it reminds us of what he did to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah was just dumbfounded by the glory of God and says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. You see, Jeremiah's prophetic ministry is not going to come from his adequacy or words. But it is founded and characterized by God's words. That's why he can go to the nations who despise God and speak the truth because it is God who has given him the word to do so. The words that Jeremiah will speak throughout the length of this book are from God and not from the opinions of man. And God gives Jeremiah six actions that he's going to do. 
And we read it there in verse 10. He's going to pluck up and break down. He's going to destroy and overthrow. And those words are not pretty words. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't feel fuzzy inside when it says to destroy or to pluck up or to overthrow. You see, Jeremiah is being called to a life that contains tearing down walls, that contains calling people out of their sin. And it is going to be brutal, and it is going to be hard, and it is going to be messy. But it's only after you do that that he can do the last two, which is to build and to plant. And we will see these verses come up throughout the series. We're going to see these verbs come up because Jeremiah is called to something that is too big and too much, but he's also called to, to plant new roots, establish new foundations. And that's a lot. And that's too much. So we've all been given a life that is too big and is too hard. And if you're sitting here telling me, no, I haven't, then I think, friends, you're doing it wrong. Because life is hard. But what do we do? What do we do in the midst and in the reality that life is too big and God is calling us into a life with him that is too much? You run towards the wilderness. In her new book, Brave the Wilderness, Brene Brown talks about true belonging. And she says that in order to truly belong, we have to be willing to go into the wilderness alone. And she explains how the wilderness is hard and scary and can be lonely, but that in the wilderness, we become our true selves and can be our true selves. And in fact, she says, belonging to ourselves means being called to stand alone, to brave the wilderness of uncertainty, vulnerability, and criticism, but you want to know the beauty of the gospel, friends, is that you and I never have to brave the wilderness alone. Well, the beauty of the gospel is that God has called us, that he has formed us, and he sets us apart, and he promises to be with us, to deliver us, and to rescue us. But this doesn't mean that life is going to get easier. In fact, it means that sometimes life is going to seem impossible. But friends, run towards the wilderness. Run towards the uncomfortable. Because God has set us apart to be his ambassadors here on earth. And though life may seem impossible, he promises to be strong enough for you through it. The Christian life was never meant to be summed up in cliches. But it was always meant to be a life that is too hard so that the world and so that people and our friends can see that he is in us, that he is the one who brings us through, that he's strong when we're weak. Embrace the hard. Wrestle with God in the wilderness like Jacob did. And find your true belonging in him. And lastly, run with horses. I know that's probably like, what the heck is she talking about? Run with horses. But you see, in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, 
God is responding to Jeremiah after Jeremiah is just complaining in in the first four verses of that chapter. And he's lamenting over the fact that this is too hard. And then this is what God says in Jeremiah 12, verse 5. He says, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Jeremiah was being called to run with the horses and to thrive in the thicket of the Jordan. And friends, you and I are being called to do the same. Horses are bigger and faster than we are. And that's precisely the point. God is telling Jeremiah that if you took the easy way out and you ran against men, what good is that for you? Friends, life is too hard and difficult circumstances will come if they haven't come already. And it's going to hurt more and it's going to be too much. But are you going to give up? Will you and I just give up when everything is shattered? And when life's carpet sweeps us up from under our feet and when tragedy and pain comes, when life is impossible, will you run with the horses? Will you thrive in the thicket of the Jordan? Eugene Peterson puts it this way. The persons we meet on the pages of scripture are remarkable for the intensity in which they live Godward. The thoroughness in which all the details of their lives are included in God's word to them. And it is these persons who are conscious of participating in what God is saying and doing that are most human and most alive. To run with horses is one of the most courageous and yet tiring things that you and I are called to do. But Naya, what if I can't? What if I'm too tired and life is just too much? Let me tell you that there was one who braved the wilderness and who ran with horses. And he went to the wilderness because he knew that you and I would find ourselves there. And he fought temptation and wrestled in that wilderness. And he ran with horses because he couldn't give up, because he saw the joy that was set before him, the joy of redeeming and reconciling humanity back to God, the joy of reconciling you and I back to God so that God can be near to us and we can be near to him. And it was too much for him. He pleaded before the Father, Lord, please take this away. But he remained in the thicket of the Jordan. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, pleading and interceding on your and my behalf, not as one who doesn't know our pain and struggles, but as one who does, as one who has experienced life's hardest, life's tragic realities and prays and intercedes to the Father on your and my behalf. Because life is too much. And life is hard. But we can rest and rely on the one who has finished the work 
on that cross and rejoice in the reality of the resurrection because he overcame the hardness of this life. So friends, life is hard. And that's just the way it is. But remember that there, has, there is one, Jesus, who has accomplished this life that is too big and that is too hard for you and me. Let's pray. Lord, we confess and we admit that life is too hard. That life is too much. And we confess, God, that often we do not know where you are in all of it. And often, Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're angry. Because it does seem like evil wins. But Lord, we are reminded this morning that you are the one who has called us, that you knew us, that you set us apart, and that your promise to be with us is sure. And so God, I pray that if we are in the thicket of the Jordan, that we know we don't have to do that and be in that alone. Lord, I pray that for those in here that are needing to be reminded that you have called them. Lord, I pray that you would do that. And God, as we go through this series and we do hear the life of Jeremiah and how it gets harder, we ask for your strength and for your courage because Lord, we know that when we're weak and that when we're weary and when we're too tired, you promise to be strong for us. We love you, Lord, and we just thank you for speaking to us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.